Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. Good morning, guys. This is uh, very exciting for me uh, to be able to preach to people. Not that we haven't been doing that each week, um, but just to have people in the room is uh, so good because we're not just hearing an echo in here. Um, it is good to see your faces, and just once again, we are just glad to gather this morning. Whether it's here or online, we are glad to gather because, again, we are um, opening up our Bibles to learn and we're opening up our hearts to love. And that's what we need in this time right now. Because we are, again, in an incredible time. Uh, I, I believe that the Lord is just granting every possible opportunity for us to love our neighbors well and to put the gospel of Jesus Christ on full display. I mean, think about it. In our lifetime, has there ever been an opportunity greater than what we're facing right now? I mean, in almost every domain of society, there's never been for us in our lifetime a greater opportunity than what we're facing right now. Has there ever been a greater opportunity to lay aside your own personal preferences and pleasures and consider the interests of others? Has there ever been a more imperative moment for you to humble yourself and then outdo one another in showing honor to our neighbors and to those who are vulnerable? to our fellow brothers and sisters. We may never have another opportunity quite like this in our lifetime where the church has the world's ear to speak into it all of the beautiful truths of how God answers and how He answers with steadfast love that all the promises of yes find, their, find themselves in Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity with our lives to stand up and answer the call of God to push back the darkness in our world with the gospel as our tool, with Christ as our example, the Holy Spirit as our source of power, and with the Father as our author and perfecter of our faith. Looking at what's going on in our world and then knowing that we have God and that we have Jesus Christ and that we have the gospel and that we have the Holy Spirit and that we have the Father, we can't lose. We can't lose in what's going on. And so now that you're here or watching online, I actually want us to get a little uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable for me because I do not want to ignore the elephant that is in the room of our world. Um, as you are already hearing in our liturgy, through our confession and through our prayer, we want to address one of the darkest areas of our society, which is the reality of social injustice and systemic racism. And even as I say that, I can feel not only just in my own life, not only in my own experiences growing up, um, I can even feel it in maybe some of the tension that you're experiencing as well, just kind of the air being sucked out of us. And even as I say that again, I kind of feel this, uh, th this is our first day back. Why not do like a happy sermon? Why not do like a why we gather for worship in person? Why not do something that's kind of not killing the vibe? Why not do something that is kind of keeping it Caleb style, just positive and encouraging? Maybe some of you might even be new to this church and you're thinking, yep, if you're going to go there, that's not for us. On to the next church to shop. Maybe some of you are thinking, we've been a part of the district for three years and we've loved that it's full of people in our own chapter of life that we can relate to, that we feel comfortable having over for dinner, who can speak into our lives because they understand what we're going through. And I would say to that, praise God for the way that He's been working through the ministry of this church in the Indy metro area thus far. Praise God. But... And not to be crude, but that's a big but. We pride ourselves on pursuing what's biblically acceptable rather than what's culturally acceptable. And right now our society is revealing loud and clear a culturally acceptable social injustice that has been ruling and reigning for more than 400 years in our little experiment known as the United States of America. 
And if, as this sermon goes on, if my tone does not seem peaceful, it's because it's growing in angst and urgency for the gospel of Jesus Christ to infiltrate the social injustice that is taking place in America. The racism that is still running rampant today as it was 150 years ago, 300 years ago, and all of the societal biases and prejudices that are defining people not by their imago day, but rather defining them by their skin color, classification, and socioeconomic status. This past week, COVID-19 has not been the hot topic of discussion, nor has it been in your news feeds, but the name George Floyd has been. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. And if you're looking at those situations, waiting for all the facts to come out, then that alone is revealing your own biases. It's no longer a question whether or not we have a problem. It's obvious. It's obvious. George Floyd's death plea, I can't breathe, has become the rallying cry for people who have experienced the suffocating grip of racial oppression and injustice. Racism is undeniably woven into the fabric of this nation. From our treatment of Native Americans to the institution of slavery, segregation policies, and Jim Crow laws, it's redlining in urban sectors, and the ever-evolving overt and covert modern practices in our economic, political, social, and religious spheres of life. Black men and women live under the particularly heavy shadow of generational pain that is the result of gross inequality and inequity. Our only hope, our only hope, comes through the gospel-centered repentance, corporately addressing our dark history and its ongoing implications, while genuinely turning to Christ with compassionate and consistent action. Individually, we must repent of our own wickedness, of sin that we may have com committed explicitly or have been complicit in or committed simply in our silence or our tone deafness. And we must come together to denounce the evil that has been committed as well as the systems that support it. We must not sit, as King said in his jail cell, idly by. Now, Fortunately, this week, I feel I've had many, many conversations from, as they're calling white allies, from friends, from family who, who weren't thinking about this before, but now are, and are beginning to ask the question, what can we do? What can we do? Some have been asking this question for years now. Others have just been begun asking that question in the last few days. And honestly, some of us still don't want to ask the question at all. So what I want to do this morning is help us as a church understand from a biblical perspective, from the Bible, why it is important for each one of us to first and foremost get to the place where we feel deeply convicted to ask the question, what can we do? Not only now, but that it would become part of our DNA. That, would be, that it would change us as an individual so that it changes us as a corporate body, as, a, as Christ. So that we can then actually begin making change in our culture. Because what our brothers and sisters of color don't need is a quick fix and support from their fellow white brothers and sisters. They don't need us to post a black square on Tuesday. And then think we did our part and move on to our trendy filters and influencer posts. In order for justice to prevail, it must come from a place of desperate conviction and unrest until it is achieved. This past week, I was watching a documentary on Netflix um, called 100 Humans. Has anybody seen it, heard of it yet? 100 Humans? I actually think it's a good documentary. It's actually a, a lighthearted, kind of fun experiment where they get 100 humans of different backgrounds, um, different ethnicities, just there are a hundred different people. And they're doing all kinds of, of just testing and experiments with them, um, where it's just like testing uh, gender norms, it's testing like whether or not, you, I mean literally one of their examples is they actually have a comedic skit where they have a guy 
doing the comedy and a girl doing the comedy and it's the exact same words coming out of their mouth and they're actually testing the people to see which one you found funnier. Um, they do all kinds of things from what you prefer food-wise and specifically the one that I want, wanted to address today was um, societal bias, racial bias. And one of the studies that they did this week was they, put, uh, they took these hundred people and they created this scene of an alleyway with dumpsters and run-down cars. And what they wanted to do was for the hundred humans, they actually placed a, a, a fake gun in their hands. And they said, we want to test your, uh, your knee-jerk reaction in, in, in kind of the place of where you might feel threatened. We want to test your knee-jerk reaction. And then they brought in actors to jump out from behind the cars and the dumpsters, and some of them had guns and some of them had cell phones. And so they wanted to see how we responded as individuals towards those who would jump out. And so again, what they told the contestants was, this is just to test your knee-jerk reaction. Like, can you protect yourself when you feel threatened? But what they were actually testing was one specific moment during the experiment where they have a white guy and a black guy jump out from the dumpsters, both holding cell phones. So from an experiment, they're equal. But they wanted to see what the response would be from the people, whether or not there was a bias there, whether or not there was a threat that they felt there. And what they found was those who took the shot, when those two jumped out, 63% of them shot the black guy and 37% of them shot the white guy. What they actually then found was when they brought the people and kind of interviewed them, like, why did you do this? And a lot of them said, you know, it was just a, it was just a very instinct thing. Like, I just had to protect myself. I just had to take a shot. What they didn't realize was the black man who jumped out isn't an actor that was being portrayed, but it was actually one of their set directors, his name is JP, whose primary role is human relations. So throughout their weeks that they've been practicing and doing all these experiments, JP's only job was to intermingle amongst the hundred people and get to know them. And so once they actually realized that it was JP who jumped out, they started crying. They're like, if we'd only known it was you, we wouldn't have shot. And what that revealed was that our, not only individual selves, but our society has created a societal basis, whether it's through media, whether it's through education, whatever it is, it's created a societal bias that we are to feel threatened by the black population. This is an issue. It's reinforcing that as a society, we have created a social bias that people of color are feared greater than white people. And therefore, at every level within our society, they're treated differently and oftentimes unjustly, thus creating what is now predominantly culturally accepted as white privilege. And what did I say we pride ourselves on? Not what is culturally acceptable, but what is biblically acceptable. Because we believe that every boy and every girl, every man and every woman are created equally in God's image with dignity and value. We are to fight for systems of society that treat them with the utmost dignity, value, and respect that they deserve because they are image bearers of God. So Lord, what can we do? I feel like I can hear the echoes of, of the prophet Micah around 700 B.C. as he's pinning these words, thus says the Lord, and he's asking these questions. With what, shall I be, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings or with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What you see there in those first two verses of Micah 6, 6-8, through is Micah is asking these questions, how do I deal with my indwelling sin? And he's asking questions, should I come and bow before the Lord? Should I come and bring offerings to Him? Should I bring sacrifices for my sin? 
Should I give generously? Should I bring my thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Should I use my resources? And this is how he responds. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? It has nothing to do with what we can give resource-wise. It's what's going on within our heart that actually creates the change around us. Are we seeking justice? Are we seeking mercy? Are we walking humbly with the Lord? And how does that actually flesh itself out? How can we, as predominantly white people within the district church, how can we respond with what's going on in hopes that we are actually doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with the Lord? And I believe James 1, 19-27 provides for us the best framework for us as a body and for us as individuals to commit ourselves to in order for us to slowly begin understanding and educating ourselves, but then at the same time engaging with action for the sake of our brothers and sisters of color. For them to be treated with the dignity that they deserve. James 1.19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The first point James makes here, and we'll get down to the actual context in which he's dealing with here. But the first point is to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Not to jump back into Ecclesiastes. I know we were in that for a little while, but Ecclesiastes 5.1 says this, To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. We must be quick to listen before we think we are able to come in and answer, or provide an answer, or provide a system, or provide a structure in which this would be the answer for what you need. Oftentimes, one of the things right now that is happening is when people are saying black lives matter, many whites are responding with all lives matter. And I understand what they're trying to say there. They're trying to not make a distinction between one being greater than another. But what they don't realize is that black lives, from a mattering standpoint, have been suppressed and oppressed for 400 years within our United States of America us landing on this continent. And so when we respond with all lives matter in the wake of black lives matter, what we're actually trying to do is continuing to suppress and oppress a system or an organization or a people who are trying to finally get their voice heard. And what we end up doing is just continuing to offer sacrifices like fools. Because we continue investing our time in. When we say all lives matter, all we're doing is running back to our life that we want to feel comforted and that we don't want to feel the guilt of or the shame of or our participation in. Because we want people to not look at us as if we were a part of the problem. And therefore we try to scream, all lives matter. That's foolish. That's offering a sacrifice to fools. And we don't know that what we're doing is actually still perpetuating evil. It's heartbreaking to see injustice compounded across our nation by violent protests and violent policing. It's so clear how we desperately need, we need the Prince of Peace to intervene. But we need to be quick to listen to learn the why. While looking at our country, we should observe that yes, uproar doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a reason our nation has come to this. Centuries of reasons, beginning with the African slave trade. Yes, violent riots are wrong. That's obvious. But don't let that keep you from seeing the why. 
Why is this happening? Sin? Yes. But go deeper. While it seems some are protesting out of sheer wickedness and an opportunity to do evil, others are protesting from immense pain. When an abused child acts out and attacks a classmate, should people just call the kid a thug and give up on him? No. A wise counselor recognizes what's happening, sees what's fueling it all, and then seeks justice and healing and vindication for the mistreated boy. Don't see the riots. See the reason behind them. Some of us don't even realize that as of 2020, slavery has been abolished for 157 years. But blacks were enslaved for 244 years before that, from 1619 to 1863. We have to become aware that this is not just a personal issue. This is a nationwide issue that has been going on for 400 years. And it doesn't go away by just voting every four years. Are we listening? Do we see what's happening? Are we pursuing avenues to learn? If you search um, Be The Bridge on Facebook, also just Be The Bridge um, as a website as well, it's a fantastic movement that is seeking to educate both whites and people of color on how they can come together. When you join the page, this is actually one of the things I love. The number one rule for you when you join the page is you can't comment for three months. You're to simply read, listen, and absorb. You can like, but you can't comment because you don't have anything to say yet. That's listening. Listening looks like buying books on black history like The Warmth of Other Suns, the epic story of America's great migration. It's buying books on how the church has been indifferent and even complicit towards racism within American or Western Christianity like The Color of Compromise. Listening is buying books for children like God's very good idea that shows many of the people in Scripture that God uses to bring about His story of redemption and none of them are European, American, or white Caucasian. Shocker. Jesus wasn't white. Nor were any of the disciples. Nor were any of the major and minor prophets. Nor was David. As best as you view him as a little white boy, that's not what he was. And on and on I could go. Therefore, we must listen. We must educate ourselves on not only the history, but also the experience of our brothers and sisters of color. And as we educate ourselves, then, only then, can we be slow to speak. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says this, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. These two verses are screaming the same thing. God is holy, you are not. God is in heaven seeing everything in real time, and you are on earth seeing only through your eyes dimly. Therefore, do not be quick to speak. Do not say a lot, because what you are going to say is going to be ignorant and sinful. Therefore, only speak what is helpful with few words and do it with wisdom. Be prudent. If you don't remember what prudent means from our Ecclesiastes series, it means showing care and thought for what the future impact will be of your words. Learn. Educate yourself. And only then with wisdom speak with precision. Like a doctor handling a scalpel versus a redneck with a sawed-off shotgun. And no, I don't own a sawed-off shotgun, if you were wondering. Then leads to us being slow to anger. Proverbs 14.29, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Acting out in an irrational, unjust anger is what happens when we don't listen and we are quick to speak. Having a righteous anger is not wrong. Jesus displayed a righteous anger multiple times. 
when being angry at demons and healing people and casting those demons into pigs, he exercised a righteous anger. The most popular story is him coming into the temple and turning over tables because the priest had turned the house of God into a dual Walmart casino. That's a bit of a paraphrase interpretation there. But Jesus was not happy about it. He was also not indifferent towards it either. He was like, well, maybe one day they'll get the right high priest in there and he'll clean this place up. How many times have we said that regarding elections, regarding systems? If we just wait, one day we'll get the right person in there and they'll change it. Jesus didn't wait for that. We should not be waiting either. And then those who are learning, educating themselves, being slow to speak and slow to anger, they then receive the Word of God that's implanted within them. Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. We're talking about souls that matter. And the only thing that's truly going to save them is the implanted Word of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is also that same Gospel that has to infiltrate into the systems and structures of our government in order for change to happen. Not only do we need to receive the Gospel so that we can rightly view everyone with the dignity and value that they deserve, rightly see that they are created by the same God who created us, the Gospel is the only thing that reveals that for us. The Gospel is the only thing that illuminates our minds and illuminates our hearts and gives us the compassion that we need in order to see beyond our own lens, to see beyond our own privilege, to see beyond our own experiences and circumstances. The Gospel is the only thing that we can receive that actually turns our interest from ourselves to others. And that actually moves us towards not me being privileged, but me being a privilege to others. And me actually elevating their privilege. That's what it means to seek the welfare of your city. is to not only be thinking about your welfare. That pursuing education then leads into us pursuing action. Verse 22. Because it's actually not just enough for us to do that. Verse 22 of James 1. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The first thing we see from this is being doers of the Word. In The Color of Compromise, Jamar Tisby states this, the failure of many Christians in the South and across the nation to decisively oppose racism, prejudice, and bias in their own families, communities, and even in their own churches provided fertile soil for the seeds of hatred to grow. The refusal to act in the midst of injustice is itself an act of injustice. Indifference to oppression only perpetuates oppression. What he's saying there is we can no longer be indifferent. We can no longer be complacent. We can no longer be complicit. For complicit Christianity forfeits its moral authority by devaluing the image of God and people of color. Like a ship that is cracked whole and is taking on water, complicit Christianity has run aground on the rocks of racism and threatens to capsize. It has lost its integrity. In addition to complicit, I would put with that complacent and indifferent Christianity. 
churches and Christians who are not engaging are only perpetuating the issue. By contrast, courageous Christianity, the kind of Christianity where Jesus goes to a Samaritan prostitute woman at a well, this Christianity embraces racial and ethnic diversity. It stands against any person, policy, or practice that would dim the glory of God reflected in the life of a human being from every tribe, tongue, gender, and color. We see time and time again the example of Jesus going against the system of His time in which not only is He engaging with those in which the law at the time would stone to death, but by Him engaging would also deem Him unlawful in which He would then need to be stoned to death as well. But are we willing to do that? Because we are the ones possessing with the Gospel the ability to wield the law of liberty. As Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Being in action and being doers of the Word rather than just hearer of the words it is actually us spreading the law of liberty freeing people from not only their bondage to sin, but as we continue to infiltrate the broken systems that we have created, we also are spreading the freedom from their yoke of slavery to our own systems that are corrupt. And in doing that, the Scriptures say we become blessed. We become blessed. Not only us, but our city. And then it closes out in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What he means by that is you can have conviction, but if you have conviction minus action, it's worthless. It's worthless. Tisby again in Color of Compromise states, history demonstrates that racism never goes away. It just adapts. And that's true. And I've been at fault in the past 10 years of saying multiple times that we're not as racist as we used to be. The times have gotten better. We all use the phrase, I've got friends that are black. And I can say that. My best friends growing up that lived right next door to us were African American. We loved them. I was having conversations with them this week. It'd be easy for me to look at my relationship with them and say, yeah, racism is, is not what it used to be. Even though in my experience of playing with them and interacting with them, I would have family members who would come over and they would get out of their cars and they would yell over to my brother and I, what are you doing playing with those colored boys? I've heard family members say, we love black people. Everybody should own one. And even though I might not view through my own lens or my own understanding that I'm not a racist, I know that it's nurtured and there's a nature environment within me that has grown up around it that has only perpetuated the problem to where, yeah, I might not consider myself a racist, but it's absolutely put me in an indifference position to where I've not been actively engaging. And that trickles out into everything. That trickles out into our leadership as a church into which we want to publicly repent of that. We have not positioned our budget and resources to provide any type of source right now to be able to help push back this darkness. But if you come to our next members meeting, you'll see that we're hopefully trying to make some changes. In James, and specifically this first century Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria, everyone hated Gentiles, Samaritans, which were the half-breed Jews, women with no husbands and children with no fathers. Listen to this excerpt from a commentary from this passage. Widows and orphans of the first century were the most vulnerable. The situation of widows and orphans in their environment and the injustices they experienced resulted in their increased poverty and vulnerability as they were subjected to discrimination, abuses of their human rights, 
and inadequate financial and social support to ensure their basic survival or to support themselves and their families by embarking upon economically sustainable livelihoods. Orphans further experience lack of psychosocial and educational support and often experienced abuse within the community who did not observe or appreciate their rights as humans. They were deemed less than human. When you dehumanize a person, a human being, you're stripping them of their rights as humans to receive honor and respect. And you'll begin to treat them by your own definition. And that's not merely an ideological problem, but a theological problem. As Charles Dates stated in his sermon last week, the cry of George Floyd, I can't breathe, is a theological problem. I can't breathe. The suffocation of a black man in Minneapolis is a repeated attempt to undo the animation of God within black people around the world. It was God who breathed life into mankind. It is our call to resist systems and structures which act to suffocate that breath of life out of our brothers and sisters of color. Church, we cannot wait to accept our call and the requirement of our Lord from Micah 6 to do justice and to love mercy. As Dr. Martin Luther King stated so harrowingly from his jail cell in Birmingham, we have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward gaining political independence, but we stiff creep at horse and buggy pace toward gaining a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darkness of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million black brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain your, to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness toward white people. When you have to connect, concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking daddy, why do... White people treat colored people so mean. When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs, reading white and colored. When your first name becomes, and I won't say, your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and mother are never given the respected title missus, when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a black man, living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you go forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. This letter, if you're not familiar, the letter from the Birmingham jail was written to eight white clergymen who, with their wisdom, counseled King to wait and to be patient. To wait for the next election. Or to be peaceful. We must hear the cries of our brothers and sisters of color and we must respond not idly by hoping change will come. We must first lament with people of color. 
And then we must listen and learn. And then we must stand and act. We cannot be merely hearers of the Word. And also in this case, just observers of what's going on with the injustice that we see. Because King also added from this Birmingham jail, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the black's great stumbling block and his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. How many of us have seen that this week on social media? We cannot be moderate. We cannot be indifferent. We cannot be passive. We cannot be complicit. We cannot be comfortable. We are to weep with those who weep. We are to mourn with those who mourn. We are to stand with those who are trying to stand. The church's call to justice is not God sending His church out to a place where God cannot be found. Rather, God is sending His church into the place where He is already at work. The Bible more often than not refers to the mission field of ministry as being to the most vulnerable and oppressed. In James 1, the most vulnerable and oppressed were the widows and orphans. In our culture today, it is people of color. And we have to act. It's a scheme of the evil one and the lie of a broken world that says you have to choose between supporting justice or supporting righteousness. Don't let the world polarize you into believing you can't or shouldn't stand for both. Stand for justice and change when it comes to racism and the need to value and treat every person with the dignity and respect they deserve because they are created in God's image. Stand in support of our law enforcement and officers and elected leaders as they seek to protect people and exercise authority with wisdom, justice, and righteousness. Stand for the freedom and the need to protect peacefully and with conviction in a world that is broken. Stand against every sinful action. Consider all that we've seen over the past few weeks, not just parts of it. Knowing that racism, abusive treatment of people, murder, stealing, vandalism are completely wrong and cannot be justified biblically, but look deeper to the root cause, the deep hurt and pain of 400 years of abuse and injustice and mistreatment. And then pray. Pray. Pray for change, pray for protection, pray for the vulnerable and the marginalized, for the protesters and the police officers alike. Draw the lines of conviction and response where God's Word draws them. We have to draw a line. It makes me think of the picture of Jesus Christ standing before the Pharisees as He's next to a woman who's caught in adultery and they're picking up their stones and they're ready to throw them. And Jesus kneels down and He draws a line. He just starts drawing. He doesn't say He draws a line. He starts drawing in the sand. But what He's doing in that moment is He's giving them an opportunity to learn and be educated. And He says, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they drop because they were actually willing in that moment to listen. To listen. And they were slow to anger. And a woman was freed from an unjust system that would have stoned her. Look at Jesus. He sacrificed His privilege of a throne in order to put on the poverty of a cross. He became poor so that we might become rich. He became homeless so that we might have a home. He became sin so that we might become righteous. He absorbed the wrath of God so that we might absorb the grace of God. May we follow in Jesus' footsteps and serve the least of these. May we sacrifice our privilege and seek the interest of our other brothers and sisters of color. May we fight to honor the fearfully and wonderfully made beautiful creations from every tribe, tongue, and nation who all bear the image of our Creator. Let's pray.
Jesus, we need You more than we may have ever needed You this morning. For those of us who call ourselves believers, we can remember back to the time that we became a Christian and we trusted in You. and We had that moment where we grieved our sin. And that might have looked different for a lot of us, what that sin was. But we grieved our sin and we pleaded for Your forgiveness. Right now, Lord, I pray that You would provide for us that same Holy Spirit piercing conviction that we see our sin once again that we see the sin of our indifference that we see the sin of our complicitness that we see the sin of our privilege that has aided systems and structures that dehumanize others and may we be willing to nail this sin to the cross of Jesus Christ. May we be liberated from it with the law of liberty that you grant through the implanted word that you provide. May we be free from this sin. And in that freedom, may we then begin to finally be able to turn our attention away from ourselves into those who right now are the vulnerable and the oppressed. May we listen and educate. May we walk with you humbly. And may we not be hearers of the word only, but may we be doers of the word. May we ask that question, what can we do? And then we actually do something about it. That's walking humbly with the Lord. That's doing justice and loving mercy. Are we going to fail and fumble? Absolutely. Just like a new child learning to walk, Lord, we are going to take a couple of steps and we're going to mess up. People are going to think we're going too slow. Some are going to think we're going too fast. Some are going to think we're not reading the right books or educating ourselves. But Lord, we need grace. We need grace. Just like the fact that we don't yell at the little child who's trying to walk when they fall we celebrate the fact that they took some steps we need your grace lord fuel us move us convict us and lord be with our brothers and sisters of color comfort them right now Let them know that you're moving. Let them know that you don't tolerate this. You require. You require justice. Comfort them with that truth. We need you, Jesus, more now than ever. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we close out, as we normally do our in-person gatherings. We always close out with an opportunity to partake of communion and to participate in communion. If you're listening online, I'm sorry, you don't get to partake of this with us. But for those who are in this room, underneath your chairs, you're going to see something that looks a little awkward because it's different. But it's a duly packaged juice with a cracker on top. It's not going to be as good as the bread we used to have but it's sanitized. <laughs> it's... But when we come to this time, as I just said, I want to look at what Christ did. Christ left heaven to come to earth. I mean, he left the presence of angels worshiping Him to come to the cross and have sinners mock Him and murder Him. I mean, when we talk about laying aside privilege, and humbling yourself in order to provide for those most vulnerable sinners? Man, 
And that it was his blood that was shed in order to make this reconciliation happen. Throughout our country right now, blood has been shed. And it's been shed through injustice. The cross of Christ is the only way in which God, through Christ's death, is an act of justice. Because Christ on the cross took our sin. He didn't just sweep it under the rug. That would be injustice. He took our sin and He placed it on Jesus. And then He poured His wrath out on Jesus. Crushing Him. And Jesus says, no man took my life. I was willing to lay it down. I was willing to absorb the punishment for your sins. And are we willing to participate in what Christ did as we kind of move from this mindset of what are we owed and rather what can we give? What can we give? I don't have a Bible on me right now. Who's got a Bible and can open up to 1 Corinthians 11? I tried to load mine secretly earlier, but it didn't work. Or maybe it did. 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to let you read it. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord came some night and prayed the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Let's remember Christ's sacrifice together as we partake. And then let's continue to worship. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church. At